Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Rich. Um, good evening, everyone. Really good to see you all. Good to be here. Um, I don't just say that. It is really good to be here, and I just want to start by saying a massive thank you to you guys for giving into that special offering and helping us do what we're trying to do down in Holbeck. Um, this whole one church, three locations thing can be hard sometimes because for us down in the south, we feel a bit far away from our roots. For me, naturally, this would have perhaps been the gathering I would have come to, but because of what God's really called us to, we're down in the south, which I love, but I can't tell you how good it is to come here and to be amongst family and to see faces that I know really well and faces that are new and just to worship with you and just get a sense of your passion for Jesus and your passion for what you're doing here. It's exciting. So thank you for having me this evening. Um, If you've got a Bible, why don't you get it out now Um, and open it up to Romans chapter 8. Um, We're going to be looking at Romans 8 verses 35 to 39. If you've not got a Bible, don't worry. It is already behind me in huge letters, so that's good. Um, Yeah, Romans 8 verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a good passage of scripture, isn't it? It's a good reading. We like that one. But um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read that, I'm not sure I know what it means to be more than a conqueror all the time. Sometimes I read that list of danger, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, and I say, yeah, I want to be more than a conqueror in those things, but I'm not sure if actually I would be when it got there. Do you feel like that sometimes? Do you feel maybe in the situations you're facing at the moment, there's some hard stuff going on, some difficult things that you're facing? Does it feel like quite difficult to connect with being more than a conqueror? But you know that passage says that because of the love of Christ for us, we are more than conquerors. And what I want to talk about tonight is the reality of living in the victory of Jesus, whatever our circumstances. And to do that, um, I want to talk about someone else, someone who is a hero of faith to me, someone called Corrie Ten Boom. And many of you might have heard of her. She is an absolutely outstanding example of somebody who knows what it is to be more than a conqueror, who knows what it is to be victorious in all circumstances, in all circumstances situations because of Jesus, not because of herself. 
So she was a Dutch Christian who um, lived through the Second World War, and at that time she was involved in hiding and caring for Jews who were being persecuted in the war. And she was found out and arrested, and she was taken to prison and then taken to a concentration camp. And despite the horrendous conditions she was in, her and her sister Betsy, who was with her, spent their time there sharing Jesus with people in prison and in in the camp, sharing the light and hope that they had in Jesus. And they saw some incredible things. Her sister Betsy eventually died, but Corrie survived and went on after she was released after the war. She went on to preach all around the world of the things that she had seen, the truth that she had encountered of who Jesus was in those times. And she even went back to Germany and she preached to people who had been her jailers, who had been her guards. She preached a message of love and forgiveness to them. That was the extent of her revelation of the grace of God. She was a very inspiring woman, a remarkable woman. But actually, when you read her story, what comes across most is how normal she was, just how ordinary she was. She um, talks of herself in very real, normal terms. She knew that she had weaknesses. She knew she was afraid. She knew that she didn't have it all together. But she had a childlike faith in an incredible God. And she knew that he had overcome the world, that he had conquered. And therefore, whatever situation she was in, she too could be more than a conqueror. And her her life is the story of trusting God and experiencing his power. And I want us to live lives like that. I want us to know what it is to live a life trusting God and experiencing the power of God in our day to day. So as I tell Corrie's story, I want to pull out some simple rhythms of her life, which enabled her to live in victory despite her circumstances. And these rhythms are like keys that are just simple things that unlock the door to that life of being more than a conqueror. And those keys that I want to look at today are faith, thankfulness, and forgiveness. And I'm going to tell some stories from Corrie's life that bring those things out. But we're also going to read from Corrie's book, The Hiding Place. And Beth is going to come up at different times and read some extracts from that in Corrie's own voice. (laughs) Well, no, in Beth's voice, but (laughs) what Corrie was actually saying. (laughs) You have free reign to go with accents, Beth. (laughs) Um, Okay, but first I want to just start with a quote that Corrie... um, Curry says right at the beginning of her book that sort of sets the tone for what we're going to be talking about. She said, every experience that God gives us, every person he puts in our lives, is the perfect preparation for the future that only he can see. Every experience God gives us, every person, the difficult and the not difficult, is the perfect preparation for the future that only he can see. Corrie really believed that. And it enabled her to embrace her circumstances and to find Jesus in them. You see, she wasn't asking, why has this happened to me? She kept her eyes fixed on Jesus. Lord, what are you doing through this? And our stories are different to Corrie's, aren't they? We live in a different time. Our struggles and our difficulties are different. And as I'm talking through her story, I want you to just keep in your mind your own story. I want you to just think now about what are you facing at the moment? What are you finding hard? What's on your mind? What are you praying for? What are you hoping for? 
And my prayer is that you would experience the reality of Jesus in your story tonight, that you would see him afresh, see his purposes for what you're doing, and see and receive his power to live, in, to live your life in following him. So Corrie's story starts in a really normal way. She was the youngest of four children of a clockmaker in a Dutch town called Harlem in Holland. Her father had a strong faith, and he started and ended each day by reading the Bible together as a family. Their, their home was had an open door. They, they often had poor and vulnerable people coming in and out with them, and so those times of reading the Bible together often included a real mix of people. And Corrie enjoyed those times. She knew they were important, but she often didn't fully understand what was being read. It was in the daily living out life with her family and asking questions of her of her dad that she really began to understand God for herself. And Corrie recalls a time when she um, was traveling to Amsterdam um, with her father. She was going once a week and then later um, in the week she was back home and she was upset before she went to bed. And her dad came and sat on her, sat on her bedside and said, Corrie, when we go on the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you your train ticket? just before we get on the train, she said. And her father said, exactly. And our heavenly father knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corrie. And that story soothed her. It enabled her to sleep but that night. But in her life, it was a sustaining truth to know that she had a heavenly father who knew what she need, needed and when she needed it. And, she would, and he would give it to her when she needed it. And so I wonder for us tonight, where do we need to know that truth, that we have a heavenly father who knows what he need, what we need and who will give it to us just when we need it? See, sometimes we want to feel like we have it all before we'll take that first step. Sometimes I think we know what God's called us to in the end, but we're so worried about working out how we're going to get there that we don't take the first step. But faith, the life of faith, means trusting God for the future and following him now. So that's that first key, faith, the ability to trust God when we don't see the whole picture. This is going to prove vital in Corrie's life. You see, she was 50 when the um, Second World War broke out, and until then she'd lived a relatively normal life. She'd lived at home, she'd remained unmarried, and her, along with her sister Betsy, had cared for their parents and for the different people that they had in and out of their house. But then at 50, her life suddenly changed. As she began to see the persecution that was starting as the war began, she knew as a Christian her role was to love and care for anybody in need. That was the pattern of life that she'd just picked up, she'd learnt. It was like instinctive to her. But now all of a sudden it was putting her in dangerous and vulnerable positions. And remembering that train ticket story, she said, my job was simply to follow his leading one step at a time, holding every decision up to him in prayer. And she faithfully did that and began to house and feed Jews um, that were in her town being turned out. And soon there became too many to fit in her house. And so they had to find other safe, safe routes to different houses and safe places where Jews could be hidden. And soon Corrie found herself leading a significant underground network to protect Jews from persecution. Now she never saw herself as someone who was able to do that be the head of this underground network. She never imagined that that would be what would happen. But just step by step, she followed Jesus and he supplies for her needs. 
And a few years later, a few years into the war, when Corrie was 52, their house was raided and she, along with her whole family, were arrested. She was imprisoned in Holland. Her father died in prison. Her, her older brother and sister were later released, but she and Betsy were transferred to a concentration camp. And her suffering was immense. But Corrie didn't become inward-looking. She didn't take on that victim mentality. She maintained the lifestyle of faith that she'd always lived, trusting God, following him, continuing to honour him in every circumstance. And so this first story from Corrie comes from her time in um, the concentration camp in Germany called Ravensbrück, where amazingly they'd managed to smuggle in a Bible. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else felt too heavy. Will you carry this too, Lord Jesus? But as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear, and that was the reason the two of us were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the centre of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it, holding our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer, the more beautiful and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I would look about us as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face. More than conquerors. It was not a wish, it was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it every minute by minute. Poor, hated, hungry, we are more than conquerors. Not we shall be, we are. Life in Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels, mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we live with God, grew daily better truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Thanks, Beth. So that faith in Jesus, the light, that faith in the Bible as the word of God, learnt as a child in the comfort of their home, proved true in the darkness of the concentration camp. And I wonder for us tonight, where do we need to make that proclamation? We are more than conquerors, not we shall be, we are. You know, if Corrie can do it in a concentration camp where everything else is taken away, then we can do it here today because it's not about feeling like we are. It's about believing the truth, receiving the truth that in Christ we are more than conquerors. And for me, this, the rubber hits the road on this one when it comes to fear because fear kills my faith. Fear stops me from doing the things that I know Jesus has asked me to do. Fear is the thing that will make me hold back or make me say no. But what I need to do in those moments is not give in to my emotions, not, not stay and be led by what my feelings are telling me, but 
but build my life on the truth and hold those things that I'm afraid of, that rejection, the failure, the hurt, whatever it is that I'm afraid of, hold those things up to Jesus and say, no, in you, I am more than a conqueror in these areas. And then fear is destroyed and faith comes in and we're able to live in that way. So what is it for you? Where do you need to make that declaration? We are more than conquerors in Christ. It takes faith in who he is, not in our own strength. And then the second key um, to living as more than a conqueror in Corrie's life that I want to talk about is thankfulness. And again, we're going to hear from Corrie. And in, this, in the concentration camp, they were moved into their permanent accommodation. And they discovered that actually the situation there was much worse than the temporary accommodation that they were in when we just heard that reading. Um, the barracks that was designed for 400 women now housed 1,400 women. And more were arriving every day. And the square mattress designed for four people to sleep on had nine people sleeping on. And they were cramped in these rooms with towers of mattresses, just hundreds of women all in there together. And the sanitation was horrendous. But listen to um, what Corrie says about it. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realise she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corrie, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer before we asked, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in First Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed written expressly to Ravensbrook. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corrie. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room. Such as, I said. Such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corrie? She prodded. All right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. 
Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and for... The fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. Um, we're going to hear more about the fleas later, don't worry. Um, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ for us, for the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. How easy is it only to give thanks for the good things? Corrie and Betsy's suffering led them to understand why giving thanks is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. It's not because God needs to hear how brilliant he is. It's because we need the discipline of thankfulness so that we don't get overwhelmed with the sorrow that's around us. Thankfulness was the key for them to surviving in darkness. Through thankfulness, Betsy and Corrie learned to conquer the darkness, the persecution, the danger, the famine, the sword of their lives. They learned that, and as they learned that discipline of thankfulness, it had a massive effect on people around them, as you can imagine. They prayed and they lived differently and they talked to people about Jesus all the time. And before long, in their new barracks, um, they were holding a daily worship service in the corner of their cramped bedroom where there was a small light bulb that gave them just enough light to read the Bible. So we're going to hear a bit more about what those services were like. They were services like no others these times in Barracks 28. A single meeting might include a recital of the Magnificent, Magnificat in Latin by a group of Roman Catholics, a whispered hymn by some Lutherans, and a sotto voce chant by Eastern Orthodox women. With each moment, the crowd around us would swell, packing the nearby platforms, hanging over the edges until the high structures groaned and swayed. At last, either Betsy or I would open the Bible. Because only the Hollanders could understand the Dutch text, we would translate aloud in German. And then we would hear the life-giving words pass back along the aisles, in French, Polish, Russian, Czech, back into Dutch. They were little previews of heaven these evenings beneath the light bulb. I would think often of Harlem, each substantial church set behind its wrought iron fence and its barrier of doctrine. And I would know again that in darkness, God's truth shines most clear. At first, Betsy and I called these meetings with great timidity. But as night after night we went on and no guard ever came near, we grew bolder. So many now wanted to join us that we held a second service after evening roll call. There on the Lagerstrasse, we were under rigid surveillance, guards in their warm wool coats, marching constantly up and down. It was the same in the centre room of the barracks. Half a dozen guards or camp police always present. Yet in the large dormitory room, there was almost no supervision at all. We didn't understand it. One evening, I got back to the barracks late from a wood-gathering foray outside the walls. Betsy was waiting for me, 
as always, so we could walk, so we could wait the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I found out. That afternoon, she said, there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come in and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas! That's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to that first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head, remembering her thanks to God for creatures I could see no use for. So those two women gave fat thanks for some fleas and it led to a multicultural church being planted in one of the darkest places in the world. A little taste of heaven, she said. Can you imagine that being your description of experience in a concentration camp? It's incredible, isn't it? But that's what happens when God's people refuse to be discouraged and choose to praise him. And so I wonder what would happen if we became a church who chose to thank God in all circumstances, if we became a church who knew what it was to declare his praises, no matter what our circumstances, if we gave thanks systematically for everything in our lives, what doors would he unlock? What could happen? It's so simple. Just start by saying thank you for the things that maybe don't feel like you want to thank God for. But as we start to learn to thank him and praise him and it becomes a discipline in our lives, the, the possibilities are just huge because he has purposes and plans that he knows that we can't do, but he is able to do them. He just wants us to incline our hearts towards him and he will take what we have and we'll multiply that and we'll use it for his glory so that the world will know who he is and find hope and light in him. And then finally, there's just one last key that I want to talk about. And this, in some ways, is the clincher. I think it's the thing that, the key that unlocks one of the biggest doors in our hearts. And the consequences of keeping it closed are huge, but the temptation to do so is also huge. And that is forgiveness. And throughout Corrie's story, there's a thread that runs beneath it of the importance of forgiveness for a life of being a conqueror. And after the war, Corrie had an incredible ministry of um, homes for people that had been affected by uh, atrocities of the war on both sides. She um, set up homes for people to go and to spend time healing and rehabilitating before they could enter normal life. And what she said um, from those times was that for all these people alike, the key to healing turned out to be the same. Each had a hurt he had to forgive the neighbour who had reported him, the brutal guard, the sadistic soldier. For Corrie, the need to forgive was a regular part of her story, but most powerful is her account of a situation that happened years later. So our final story comes again from Germany, where Corrie has gone back to preach um, after the war. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing centre at Ravensbrück. 
He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. So it's not easy to forgive, is it? We know that. In fact, it's impossible. But as we've learned from every stage of Corrie's life, the life of a conqueror is doing the impossible, knowing that it's in his power, not in our own. You know, Jesus says that forgiveness is not optional, but he knows we can't do it. So his power is available to us if we'll step out in faith. And again, it's not about waiting till you feel like forgiving. It's about trusting him and acting in faith, knowing that by forgiving, we're united with Jesus because he forgave us and it's in him that we forgive other people. And just remember what Corrie received when she put out her hand, when she acted in faith to forgive that man. She received the love of Jesus filling her heart, and that was better by far than holding on to the hurt. I know it is difficult to do. I know it takes courage, but I wonder, are there people that you need to forgive this evening, that you need to begin that process, take that step toward forgiveness, knowing that it is Jesus will give you what you need, but it will lead you to a life of conquering the difficulty of the situation, conquering the pain. So we've talked about faith and thankfulness and forgiveness, and these things are simple things, but they're also difficult things. But what I'm hoping that you've heard is that it's not about Corrie being this amazing person. It's not about us learning to be these amazing people that will enable us to be more than conquerors in whatever situation we face. 
It's about recognizing our weakness, recognizing our ordinariness, recognizing that there's stuff in our lives that we wish wasn't there, but not letting that stuff stop us from following Jesus, from pursuing him wholeheartedly, pursuing relationship with him, and following him into whatever he has for us. Because he has plans and purposes for each one of you that are for building his kingdom And his kingdom is amazing and glorious. And it matters to him so much. And he is building it. He is doing it. And he wants to use you. He wants to invite you into that. And the way to step into that isn't by cleaning yourself up and making yourself good. It's by coming to him and saying, God, this is what I've got. Use me. I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to cultivate a life of thankfulness. And I'm going to be obedient to you in forgiveness. And I will trust you that as I do that, you will enable me to conquer. So why don't you stand with me? If we can get the band back, let's pray. As I pray now, I'd love it if you could just maybe hold your hands out to Jesus and maybe bring before him those situations or circumstances that we mentioned at the beginning that you're facing at the moment. Or... If, if this is more what struck you tonight, why don't you bring before him the areas that you know you're weak, maybe the fears that you know are in your life. Just bring them before him now. Lay them before him and say, and let's pray together, Lord Jesus, we trust in your conquering power. And Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight believing that you are the same as you were for Corrie. You're the same as you were yesterday, today, forever, Jesus. We come to you knowing that you have all that we need. And we say, Lord Jesus, would you take these things from us? Would you take these things? Would you break the power of fear over our lives? Would you break lies of the enemy over our lives? Would you release us from unforgiveness, Lord Jesus? Would you release a thankful heart? a glad heart in us tonight, Lord Jesus. And would you fill us with your power, your resurrection conquering power, Lord Jesus, to live for you. Come, Lord Jesus. 